You're listening to What's New with Wired. This episode is brought to you by ShipStation. You know, some things take a lot of work, like sending little robots to far-off distant planets. And just as that's challenging, so too is running a successful e-commerce business, especially when there's so much to do. So I want to introduce you all to ShipStation. Now, I love using ShipStation because of its easy-to-use dashboard, which makes managing orders and printing labels a breeze and super smooth. Oh, and the customer service is just out of this world. It's exactly what you need to help grow your business. Sign up for your free 60-day trial at ShipStation.com slash technews. That's ShipStation.com slash technews. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is the Spoken Edition of Wired. We really need to talk about that solo, a Star Wars story twist, by Brendan Nystead, Jason Parham, and Angela Watercutter. So, Solo, a Star Wars story is finally in theaters. It's fun. It might not be blowing up the box office, but folks are still seeing it in droves, and when they do, they're in for a really nice time. Alden Ehrenreich is a fun, swaggering Han Solo. Donald Glover is a sexy, swaggering Lando Calrissian. Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a smart-ass, swaggering droid. They're also in for at least one big surprise and a few slightly smaller delights. But we'll get to all of that in a second. First, we need to give folks afraid of spoilers a chance to show themselves out. Okay? Everyone's been warned. From here on out, it's just Wired writers and editors Brendan Nystead, Jason Parham, and Angela Watercutter dissecting Solo in detail. Make like Chewy and join us. Angela Watercutter, Senior Associate Editor. All right, guys, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Okay, not a crazy limb, like the kind of limb some ambitious dad turned into a tree bench or put a swing on. I liked Solo. Maybe that was the result of low expectations. Maybe I just really love Glover's Lando. I don't know. I just thought it was fun. It's not going in my top five Star Wars films, but I at least thought it was better than Rogue One. Rotten Tomatoes disagrees with me here. That's their problem. What about y'all? Did you like pansexual Lando as much as me? Did you enjoy seeing the Millennium Falcon when it still had that new ship smell? Did you have cognitive dissonance watching the Mother of Dragons, a.k.a. Game of Thrones' Amelia Clark, play Han Solo's childhood girlfriend, Kira? Tell me things. Brendan Nystead, market editor. I would totally agree with you. I think it's better than Rogue. I love that movie, but think it has some struggles getting off the ground at first. Solo kicked in and didn't let up. I had heard the first act was slow, but for me, the movie never dragged. I went into it knowing a little more than the average bear, but it still kept me on my toes with its double crosses and reveals. That's not even digging into the endless references. If I can give this movie props for one thing, it would be that it made me love a bunch of stuff that sounds cringeworthy on paper. 
Did I want to know where Han's name comes from? No, but in the moment, I bought it. I knew we were going to probably see Han and Chewie meet for the first time, and I thought it added to their relationship. The card game where Han won the Falcon from Lando had me grinning. I thought Alden Ehrenreich and Donald Glover were about as good in the roles as you could ask for, not too much of an impression of the originals, but also imbued with their essences. Did anyone not click with these two dudes? Also, as a non-goatee human, I thought Amelia Clark was a standout. I was worried she'd be a prop for Han, someone who dies tragically and turns him into the embittered guy we see in A New Hope. Giving Kira her own arc and giving her agency made me greatly appreciate the storytelling at work here. My other faves were Enfys Nest, Let's See Her Cloud Riders and Some Ancillary Materials Disney, Rio Durant, R.I.P., and of course, L3, Bridge. Jason Parham, senior writer. I'm going to have to agree with Wired colleague Brian Rafferty on this one. I found Solo mostly inessential as a film. I'm of the belief that prequels are, by design, tougher canvases to experiment on. There's always room for depth and context, but the Star Wars universe has already been dreamed up in spectacular revolutionary fashion. For me, George Lucas's original Holy Trinity is a near-perfect symphony of love and loss and intergalactic repression. History also tells us that Star Wars prequels don't fare too well. Just look at The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Still, Solo did get a handful of things right, one of which was its easy, untangled plot. Sometimes a film just needs to move from point A to B to C without taking detours or overthinking its next step, especially in the case of origin stories. For me, Solo felt like the least complicated movie in the franchise. There was plenty of action and humor and coolly imagined characters. I appreciated getting a view into Han and Chewie's genesis, and loved L3's zero-fucks attitude, though I do wonder if Ron Howard's team hyper-feminized her look— do robots have hips? What the film lacked, and what every successful Star Wars film requires, was what Brian got at in his review, the intoxication of surprise. There were no truly satisfying reveals, maybe except for Darth Maul's cameo near the close of the film. I would consider it a fun but forgettable romp in the franchise's treasure chest, a better play for Disney if they're going to make prequels an ongoing habit and it seems that they are, Ed, would be to shed light on its side players. A standalone Lando Calrissian movie would be a real treat, which, according to Glover, would be Frasier in Space. Sign me up. Watercutter. Jason, I'm pretty sure you and I would both be in line on opening night for a Lando movie. Call me simple, but I just want to see more capes, and yeah, more Glover. I'm also wondering what folks thought of the look of Solo. One of the other smart things Brian brought up in his review were the films it resembled. Shades of Paths of Glory, Runaway Train, and even a bit of the Mad Max movies. I think it even had a bit of Snowpiercer in there, too. But more than that, it felt just a tinge more stylish than, say, The Force Awakens. I was perhaps looking for this because I like the work of cinematographer Bradford Young, Selma, Arrival. But I really think there was something inviting about the environments in Solo, and frankly, since Young stayed on during the transition from directors Phil Lord and Chris Miller to Ron Howard, his visual signature might be the thing that helped the whole film feel unified. Brendan, you're a Star Wars encyclopedia. What do you think? 
Am I nuts? Nice, Ted. I totally agree, Angela. Rogue One's cinematography was done in landscapes, and this felt tighter and more personal. Young did some terrific work here in spite of the rocky production. Personally, I think Rogue has the more stunning vistas, but this had a unified look that worked at all times and helped the world come alive. From the muddy, foggy Mimban to the dusty mines of Kessel, it felt Star Wars-y through and through. I'd like to take Jason to task for a sec. I fundamentally disagree with his premise. I think Star Wars should have surprises, but not every film needs revelations. If the franchise is going to survive, audiences can't expect a crazy twist in each and every film. How exhausting would that be? By episode 20, the dialogue from Spaceballs, I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate, wouldn't seem so outlandish. Snoke can be Snoke, Ray can be a nobody from Jakku. Though it's still the highlight of the franchise, not every film needs to ape The Empire Strikes Back to be good or even great. I think this was a film with surprises, and one that knew it didn't need to have huge galaxy-on-the-brink stakes to keep people engaged. I want more Star Wars like this, movies that push the Jedi and the Force to the margins, dive into the underworld, and keep the stakes relatable. Okay, now that the cat's out of the bag, who wants to talk more about Maul? Do we think this will confuse the heck out of audiences? Parham, that's fair, Brendan. A subtler, quieter, more relatable Star Wars could rightfully usher the franchise into a more deserving phase. I will say this. The Enfys Nest twist was probably the most rewarding surprise for me, though. By the time we realize that they're actually the good guys, the film is hurtling toward its end. I would have loved a little more screen time from them. As space westerns go, Young did a stand-up job, each setting more visually alluring than the last. Westerns are often hypnotic in that way, bright, dusty, full of gunfire and promise. Young's stellar cinematic patchwork made the film especially more radiant in those small ways. I've got one final question, which brings us back to Brendan's point— is Solo deserving of a sequel, or should Disney dive deeper into the underworld and into the lives of other space bandits next? Where do we go from here? Watercutter. Oh, man. Okay, those are some big questions. First of all, Brendan, as you know from my Slack messages to you following the Solo screening I saw, I was a little confused by the mall thing, mostly because he didn't look like I'd remembered him from the prequels. That said, I think audiences will like seeing him, of all the final act twists Lucasfilm could have thrown in there, that one felt the most unexpected. If you would have told me a month ago that Solo would have a callback to The Phantom Menace and other expanded universe properties, I wouldn't have believed you. Now to answer Jason's question, I think it's actually the mall cameo that helped Solo earn a sequel, though I don't think it'll be one dedicated to Han. I know there's already been talk, most of it debunked, of a Lando movie, but after Solo, what I really wanted to see was a movie that dealt more with Crimson Dawn. And, like Jason said, Enfys Nest. Like, if there's a film that's a solo sequel in name only that becomes Kira, Maul, and Crimson Dawn versus Enfys Nest and the Cloud Raiders, then I'm totally on board. Brendan, do you agree? Nice, Ted. Z-O-M-G. That'd be an awesome movie. I'd love for Enfys and her gang to get together with the rest of the Rebels, too. As for Maul, I also hope we get to see more of him in live action. We've seen him die already in Star Wars Rebels, 
but I want to know where he's been hanging out since the end of the Clone Wars. A sequel with him and Kira, especially if we get a glimpse of Maul's homeworld Dathomir, where he told her to meet him, could answer that question and finally give us more of Ray Park's unmatched lightsaber acrobatics to boot. Fans have been waiting almost twenty years to see more Maul on the big screen. As much of a Maul stan as I am, I'd also love more of Glover's Lando. If his spin-off is Frasier in space, does that mean Lobo is Niles? That I'd pay good money to watch. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.